You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Some say that neuroimaging is today's equivalent of the psychiatrist's couch. Technology has advanced to the point where we can actually view emotions. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Kai McDonald. Kai practices in San Diego, where he is Assistant Clinical Professor of both Family Medicine and Psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego. His practice includes acting as a teaching physician on the consult liaison, emergency room, and inpatient psychiatric units, part-time private practice, and acting as medical director of clinical trials. Dr. McDonald is board certified in both family medicine and psychiatry. Welcome. Thanks. So, Kai, what is the scientific understanding of emotions? First of all, Leslie, anytime you're talking about the scientific part of anything, we have to be careful not to suck the soul out of it. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today, I think, has to do with understanding emotions based on the brain, uh, realizing that there's another important part, which is what you and I experience and is you know, best viewed from another perspective. Okay, so we won't suck the soul out of it, but, but what more can you tell us about the science behind this? When I talk to uh, residents and medical students and other folks about emotions, I, I often use my hands and with respect to the people in the audience who may be driving. Yes, don't use your hands, right? Yeah, right. You, you, or use one hand, actually. That's what we do a lot of times. If sitting in the studio, you can first look at your right hand, that's a part of emotions that I'm talking about, the soul of it, which is your and my experience of our emotional processes. For example, you were talking about being excited earlier. And that's a certain process that's very intimate and personal to you. The scientific study is really, if you glance over at your left hand, looking at the brain basis of what creates these uh, unique, intimate, and uh, very personal experiences. So obviously, uh, both hands are better than one alone? Yes, but you can also, uh, and we often do this, you can also um, use them unilaterally. In other words, a lot of scientists, and you and I may get to this point, will be talking about emotions from a perspective that really divorces for the moment the fact that this is a lot of the fuel that powers our daily lives. So what does all this have to do with the practice of medicine? A few weeks ago, I was consulting on a patient in the hospital, a woman who had sadly uh, lost her child at birth at uh, nine months gestation, and she had a a terrible, painful uh, experience. She slept with the baby who had been deceased overnight and then actually had to give the baby up, and the next night spent the day or the evening uh, wandering the hospital halls and searching for it. And if you understand the scientific basis of emotion, you can really make sense out of this behavior because what this patient was experiencing was the emotion of grief. And there's a certain pattern of behavior and uh, that's associated with a certain pattern of brain activity that, you know, that makes sense of this. And, and it also influenced my recommendations, which was that she got special TLC and nomads. So does this also impact the uh, relationships that we have with one another? That's a fantastic frame because even in the day of telemedicine, when we can do medicine by the internet, the implicit part of the practice of medicine involves a relationship. Okay, so let's use our hands a bit more. What can you tell us about the left-handed perspective on emotion? There are a number of parts of scientific understanding that impact the left-handed side. There's, you know, I, I love going to the zoo with, uh, with my kids because that's one way to do it, which is animal studies. And there are decades of animal studies looking at the parts of the brain that are similar between us and rats and chimps 
and looking at how the emotional behaviors, often quite embarrassingly, uh, are similar. Of course, we all know about neurochemistry, which is another finger, which is dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin, and those impact emotions. And then an exciting third piece that I think we'll talk about a bit during our time is what's called neuroimaging, which is looking at what happens in this organ called the brain when we feel different things. It's a very exciting area of of scientific um, exploration. So where does cognition fit in with this talk about emotions? You really can't separate the two. There's interesting uh, research by, uh, a lot of people have heard of a guy named Antonio Damasio, who showed that if you damage certain parts of the brain that have to do with integrating what we call thinking and what we call feeling, that people's decision-making goes down the toilet. We talk about using your gut instinct or your gut feelings. And when it comes right down to it, a lot of what we call thinking is really uh, significantly influenced by feeling. But, you know, thank goodness for thinking, because without it, we would be very similar to chimps and, uh, and, and children in that we wouldn't have the ability to make conscious choices about our behavior. So thinking is critical. What emotion science does is try to cleave the two so that you can have a discussion. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is family practitioner and psychiatrist Dr. Kai McDonald. We are discussing the neuroscience of emotions. So, Dr. McDonald, how about the right-handed side of this? That actually is a really critical perspective as well, and, and why I talk about being ambidextrous is really probably the most coherent way to approach this. The interesting parts of this include something called interoception and mindfulness, which is essentially increasing your conscious awareness of these emotional processes in order to enrich your experience, make better decisions, enrich your relationships, And so um, that's what you could say religion does, you could say meditation does, you could say um, psychotherapy does. You know, that that in a sense is is a scientific exploration of your own internal experience, which a lot of us feel is really impactful. Okay, so Kai, how does uh, popular culture fit into all of this with the media, the, the profound influence that the entertainment channels have on people, at least in this country? Great question. Uh, the fascinating thing about this uh, topic is that I don't care if you go to a uh, Greek play by Seneca or to Kill Bill, what entertainers do so effectively is really mobilize and galvanize certain emotional experiences, and they've been doing that since the dawn of time. And so actually when I teach my course to the residents and medical students, I use movie clips from pop culture. They activate the emotional centers of our brain. That's what they do very well. And how does gender fit into all of this? Another good question, because there definitely are differences between the way men and women process emotion, the way they experience emotion. Some of this, to go back to the left hand, has to do with the fact that in most mammalian species, females and males have different roles in terms of child rearing and things. That undoubtedly has an influence, as does learning and culture, in terms of how men and women process emotions differently. I tend to emphasize the commonality more than the difference, but there are definitely differences. Now, where does empathy fall within this? I like that question because that really brings us back to the question of what does this have to do with the practice of medicine. I often refer to a study by a lady named uh, Singer who essentially put people in a scanner and poked their hand and look at what lit up. And then she had the people in the scanner watch their significant other get their hand poked and saw what lit up. 
and what came out of it is really when we experience at a gut level the pain of others, some of the pain circuits in our own brain are, are activated. And so in a, in a very uh, almost uh, existential way, we're really intimately connected to the brains and bodies of people around us. That, that to me, is essentially the neural basis of empathy. What's the funny caveat to that is, is if you felt your spouse deserved it, <laughs> you, you may have a little different circuit activated. <laughs> Actually, again, if you get into this neuroimaging literature, it's very interesting, but it, when we punish people that deserve it, some of our pleasure uh, circuits get activated, as you can imagine. So it sounds like to me, just like in baseball, that being ambidextrous really is an advantage here if you're a physician. I think the studies, I mean, even if you want to take it down to a level, when I, I do a course for physicians on uh, mindfulness and the practice of medicine... And if you look at malpractice lawsuits, I think doctors who empathically connect with their patients get sued less. So I think it's good medicine to have an understanding of how people's emotions work and how you can tie into that system in a way that's meaningful. Now, the way medicine is practiced today, especially in this country, uh, I think we are quick to medicate these emotions. Um, The story you gave of the woman with the postpartum grief, um, I think many physicians might have chosen to give her an antidepressant. So how does the use of psychotropics fit into this whole scenario? It makes it a confusing mess. Because the the fact of the matter is, is clearly these agents uh, help people and save lives. On the same token, they do tend to alter the, the processing and experience of emotions. A lot of people on serotonin medicines, for example, will say they feel flat or dull. And uh, so I think there's a certain dampening quality, too. So I, I really think it's a mixed bag, and it's, it's somewhat complicated. Exciting in the future would be when we can tap into some of these more peripheral uh, neurotransmitters. I'm thinking of oxytocin, which has been shown to uh, decrease fear, decrease aggression, increase trust, and it's also released with breastfeeding and orgasm. So if we can start to, you know, do some more sophisticated manipulation, you know, we may have more specificity, but the way it's currently practiced, a lot of our medicines, while they help people, also probably blunt emotional experience. You have a unique perspective, I think, being that you uh, practice family practice and psychiatry. Um, Can you comment on both sides of the fence there in terms of emotions? Sure. Part of the way way this gets practiced in real life is when you talk about mind-body medicine. If you really get that emotions, felt, experienced emotions, reflect brain activity, and then the brain is connected to the body, you can see why, for example, I'm thinking of a study that was done in married couples where um, they put couples together in the hospital and had them engage in hostile interactions and then looked at their wound healing and inflammatory markers and really showed that the level of hostile interactions impaired wound healing and increased inflammatory markers. So when you're seeing people for quote-unquote medical, physical problems, you really have to take into account that their emotions and their relationships, which are essentially emotional affairs, impact the body on a moment-to-moment basis. In, in real life, in a busy, busy primary care office, how can you do that? I think uh, one take-home skill is to understand that a lot of the biology of emotions has to do with eyes in the face. And I think looking at people and looking at their eyes and making a connection. I remember when I was a, a patient of an uh, orthopedist, for, uh, that he spent, I think, a minute and a half in the room with me, but I distinctly remember him sitting down, looking at me, and making that connection. That takes 30 seconds, but that makes an impact 
on the emotional systems of the brain. And, and so that's just a simple take-home. You're right, running around, as we are often pushed to do, limits that impact. But I think if you're mindful and take a moment to connect with people in that way, um, it can be profound. Yeah, you know, and my personal opinion is why so many um, maybe kind of fringy practitioners out there do so well is because they actually sit and talk to people and look at them. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And you can be, if you want to suck the soul out of it, neuroimaging would show us that that's good medicine because that activates the emotional parts of the brain that, that have uh, undoubtedly have significant effects on healing and wellness. Well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Kai McDonald. We have been discussing the neuroscience of emotions. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.